That is one thing we will not do on this podcast is... Be contrarian for contrarian's sake. Just say noxious, dumb shit for the sake of it. That is the mission recall promise. We will not say noxious shit. Well... I mean, for for clout. For clout, yeah. Yeah. We might might say something. We'll probably say something, (laughs) but not intentionally. Well, hello there, Mission Recall listeners. We're back with another scintillating episode about 90s action movies. I'm one of your hosts, Oriana Schwint. And I'm Steve Parkhurst, one of your other hosts. <laughs> Maybe there's a third one some somewhere. There isn't. There isn't. Today, we are going to be talking about one of the movies that is actually like one of the namesakes of this podcast. I am referring, of course, to the 1990 Paul Verhoeven just absolute stone-cold classic, Total Recall. This is a really exciting one for me in particular. So I had never seen Total Recall. Steve has seen it. Maybe half a dozen times. So it was very fun for us to watch it together and and have me go, oh, I like how that lady looks. Uh, that, that lady <laughs> in the uh, security line, that tall redheaded lady. She looks lady. so fun and, and interesting. What a fun extra. <laughs> So I I can't wait for us to dive into this one. So for those of you who haven't seen 1990s Total Recall, we're going to do a quick plot recap. Total Recall is based on a Philip K. Dick novel or short Short story. story, Short story. We follow... Doug Quaid is played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's sort of a grunt construction worker on Earth, dissatisfied with his life, kind of generally speaking. Uh, but he's married to a real fox, Sharon Stone. <laughs> he can't quite uh, shake this feeling that he's meant for something more. So he goes to Recall, which is this kind of fly-by-night operation where they insert memories of wild vacations that you can take. You can go to the rings of Saturn. You can be a superhero. You can kind of do anything. One of those things is you can be a secret agent. This intrigues Doug because he's been having dreams in which he is on Mars and... With yet another fox. With yet another fox. So they talk about uh, how you can have a trip to Mars, you can be a secret agent on Mars, and he agrees to take that memory and have it implanted, but something goes wrong during the implant process, and it's discovered that he already has memories of Mars, real memories. And then all hell breaks loose as Quaid is chased by some goons through a very brutalist-looking transit system, uh, which actually was shot in the Mexico City public transit. Yeah, shout out to Mexico City's subway system. Looks looks fun. I kind of want to check it out now. Yeah. He uh, gets back home safe after murdering several dudes and tells Sharon Stone what's happened, and Sharon Stone tries to kill him. And so he has to fight her off and escape, and then he is given a clue by some stranger but former associate apparently and that guy tells him to get his ass to mars and all will be explained so off he goes to mars and once he's there mars is this kind of colony of um it's a mining operation yeah sort of a corp a corporate colony really it seems a like giant a giant company town it's a company town basically it's this big corporate colony where they're mining uh for or a particular uh, mineral element. An obtainium. Yeah, it's basically an (laughs) obtainium. The corporate company town is run by this guy named Cohagen. 
so Schwarzenegger is discovered in the security line, sort of Mars's version of the TSA. He's in disguise as a giant strange woman, but he escapes that and he gets into Venusville, which is sort of the seedy red light district of this uh, company town. Stumbles upon the woman of his dreams, literally, mm-hmm. uh, Melina, who is a sex worker at one of the bars there. And she's also part of this rebel uh, resistance who is trying to free the town from the corporate stranglehold because Cohagen controls the air. Yeah, every the air, the dome that surrounds them and does not really protect them all that much from the radiation coming from the sun because there's no atmosphere on Mars. They have developed a lot of mutations and birth defects. There's, uh, They're called mutants within the film. Great prosthetics yeah. on, on all these people, real prosthetics. They're clearly an exploited kind of subclass of people. Yeah. No one cares about them. Cohagen certainly doesn't. Quaid is led to uh, the leader of the rebel resistance, uh, a man named Quato, who's just a little guy. St- stuck to another guy. Stuck to another guy. <laughs> if you've seen the movie, you can picture it clearly. If you haven't, I don't want to spoil it no, anymore. No, go watch that. it go just watch for this. It. It's, it's amazing. deeply upsetting. Deeply upsetting, wonderful, not just prosthetics, but puppetry. Yeah, incredible puppetry. It's so good. <laughs> just like sticky Chucky, kind of. <laughs> That's really a very good description. But then the big reveal is that Quaid is not actually Quaid. He is an unknowing a double agent. He had his uh, memory erased so that he could infiltrate the rebels because the mutants possess psychic powers. And so anytime somebody has tried to infiltrate them before, they were discovered by the psychics. They were able to tell that the, this person was not who they said they were. So the only way to get in was to have somebody who truly believed they were part of the rebellion, which is such a cool concept to me. I yeah. love that. It turns out Quaid is actually a guy named Hauser. He is best friends with Cohagen, and he volunteered to have his memory wiped to work his way in, which is exactly what happens. Quato is killed. Quaid and Melina are brought to Cohagen's headquarters. They are strapped down to be prepped to, to have their minds wiped, and Hauser will be put back in Quaid's body. But Schwarzenegger being Schwarzenegger, he breaks free, kills every Everyone saves Melina and they run out to the reactor. And the reactor is this massive alien construction. It's half a million years old, I believe. And what the reactor does is create an atmosphere for Mars by melting Mars's core, which is all ice. Don't worry about it. It's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. So Mars has an ice core, and the reactor melts uh, the ice to create oxygen and atmosphere. Quaid and Melina get into the core and are trying to start the reactor, but they are chased by Michael Ironside. A lot of goons. A bunch of goons kill all the goons big boss. in a really fun fight awesome fight we'll talk about in a minute schwarzenegger beats ironside by chopping his his little arms off the elevator does that. the elevator does that and then they defeat cohagen restart the reactor they get sucked out into the martian atmosphere almost have their faces explode, uh, explode because of the lack of uh, atmosphere but then the atmosphere is created and the world is saved and everyone Can lives breathe. happily ever after yeah. because uh, now it's a real planet yeah. and there's a fun little moment at the very end where schwarzenegger and molina are enjoying this little moment and he's 
like this feels like a dream and you're like oh right is this like real has all of this been happening in his head is he in recall like are we huh and like it doesn't actually matter but it is just this fun little like nod to the original story which is about the nature of memory and how it relates to our sense of self and reality yeah and then it cuts to credits before we find out for yeah, sure. yeah we don't need to know and i love that that's nice yeah it's a it's a nice little moment leaves you with a bit of a question but it's not like an it was all a dream sort of cop out no which which is i'm glad they didn't do no, that no. jesus so now we'll talk about why total recall bang it bangs so hard. I went into this pretty clean. Like I didn't really know what Total Recall was about. Hadn't read the Philip K. Dick story. But this is just a joy. Like I found myself at so many points when we watch these or rewatch them, I take notes and I found myself forgetting to take notes. There isn't an ounce of fat on this movie, even though it's almost two hours. A lot of things that shouldn't work, like Schwarzenegger is not hugely gifted actor. He has great screen presence. Presence, but he genuinely works in this movie, and I was very surprised by that. You know, honestly, I like it more now than I did even when I was younger. Uh, I think it reveals more things every time you watch it and just kind of gets better every time you watch it. The one criticism I'll have, and it's a very mild one, is that I do think there were better choices at the time for Quaid. Yes. I think Bruce Willis is the first one who pops to mind. This yeah. was the Bruce Willis of Die Hard era. Mm-hmm. Because Quaid is meant to be this schlubby everyman, you know, working in a construction site and dreaming of something more. I think Schwarzenegger pulls it off, but he looks like Schwarzenegger. Yeah, whereas Willis can disappear a little more into the everyman. He has the everyman quality to him, and he especially did in the 90s. You know, I think... It would have been fun to have seen Bruce Willis's take on this, but that's... I'm really nitpicking here. Yeah. Overall, this is a pretty perfect action movie, and what a great kickoff to the decade. It holds up so well. It's It's so funny and fun, and, you know, I have developed a real intolerance for gratuitous violence in film and TV. There's just so much of it feels so utterly pointless, and it feels like a thing that writers and directors just you know, when they can't figure out how to end a scene, they just, well, everyone starts shooting at each other or everyone starts hitting each other. And while there is a lot of gratuitous violence in Total Recall, the gratuitousness feels like the point. Like when Schwarzenegger is running through the metro transit complex and and trying to get away from Michael Ironside. Michael Ironside and his agency goons, it's literally called the agency, which is fun. They just start mowing people down and Schwarzenegger uses people as as actual meat shields and it's horrifying, but it 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 tells you exactly what you need to know about this world, which is that even on Earth, the corporate cops don't care about human life, and they will simply mow people down. You get these great scenes of passing through the security check, and it establishes both that this is a world... This is a security state. This is a security state, and amazingly, like, it's what we go through when we go through TSA now... 30 years 
after this but you know that that wasn't really much of a thing yeah, you could walk onto an airplane with like a, a handgun yeah basically it was crazy and so it's done really in a fun way too like you pass through security and it's it's an x-ray and you know you see people with their little skeletons and it's just kind of, there's a sense of fun to this entire movie which is incredible because the themes are so pretty deep here clearly have an oppressed class and colonization and what does it mean for a company to control the air that you breathe the movie is never weighed down by these weighty themes and i really really appreciate that and i think that's the genius of Paul Verhoeven is that he was able to take these sort of heady themes and ideas and make them palatable to a mass audience. Total Recall made $261 million worldwide in 1990 dollars. That's insane. Uh, It was a massive hit. What's so interesting is that it is... There's a lot of twists and turns. Yeah. Uh, You do start to wonder, like, is this a dream? Is this real? You know, he's Quaid, then he's Hauser. And you can follow it. Yeah, it's pretty easy to follow. Like, You never feel lost. These days, any movie with a message, with some sort of political message to send, it always just feels like doing homework, eating your vegetables. Mm-hmm. Like Verhoeven was able to take ideas about like exploitation and corporate malfeasance. This movie just takes it as a matter of fact that like the mutants are the heroes. They are the ones who are being exploited and oppressed. The rebels are very unambiguous heroes. Mm-hmm. Cohagen and this sort of corporatocracy kind monopoly of? Yeah. corporatocracy that basically owns Mars. They are evil and need to be defeated. Defeated. That's never a question. There's never anybody who's like, "Ooh, well, actually, you I know, they've done, yeah, they've done some good things. They built this whole place. There's, yeah. there's no like gray area. They created jobs. Yeah, they're job creators. Like, I feel like that's what would happen these days. Yeah. Again, not in some little indie film that's trying to make a point. It was in a huge blockbuster Massive success that is gory and funny and violent and lewd there's some nudity (laughs) there's the famous uh three-breasted woman the thing that really i think makes this movie is just how much you get to know everybody within sort of this rebel group like you meet all of them in this seedy bar slash brothel Brothel, and they're all just kind of hanging out chatting talking playing cards playing cards whatnot in a lot of similar movies when you are introduced to a scene like that there's violence there's immediately uh, like usually some sort of sexual violence yeah (laughs) these yeah the sex workers are in a lot of other movies are being sex work is being portrayed as inherently exploitative and you don't get that in this movie it's like no they're just doing a job like and i think that's it's not a coincidence that it's verhoven having this very kind of matter of fact like these people are just doing jobs. Melina is a sex worker, but she is not. It's funny. She has a very chaste outfit, especially by 90s I mean, standards. a lot of them do. They all do. It's basically just 80s workout gear. Yeah, at its <laughs> sexiest, it's 80s workout gear. But she spends most of the movie in like a, a jacket. 
a, a jacket, like a, kind of a boots. kind of a tunic jacket, belted over some leggings, basically, yeah. and very sensible boots. And that's actually another thing that I do want to talk about is how this feels kind of the tail end of when we had movies that featured strong female leads without feeling the need to comment on strong female leads. We simply had like Ripley from Aliens, like uh, Sarah Connor, Melina, and Sharon Stone in this. Like they are strong female characters, but it's not commented on. They are in no way out to like prove that they are badass or prove anything to anyone. They simply, you know, when Schwarzenegger and Melina kind of hook up, uh, not romantically, when they when they meet and start working together again, it's just assumed that it's a fairly equal partnership here. Like they are both contributing to each other's success in action scenes, basically. And it's not weird that Sharon Stone is this secret agent. She's not like having to fight for a better assignment or anything. She does her job. Well, and I think really the big problem with modern uh, strong female leads is that so many of them feel the need to have meta commentary within within the context of the film itself particularly now because every big action movie is a superhero movie now that we finally started getting female superhero leads the movies feel the need to comment on it wonder woman does captain marvel Mm -hmm. black widow and what's funny about that is that the studios that made these movies are the ones to blame for not having made them sooner. Warner Brothers and Disney could have made these movies much earlier in the yeah. process. Superhero movies have been a thing for 15 years. So it's it's weird to have a meta commentary about the fact that there are no female superheroes when you're the ones who made that decision. Like yeah. as a studio, like Captain Marvel could have come out 10 or 15 years ago, but you guys didn't want to. Yeah. So I don't know, to have this sort of smirking, like I'm a woman and I'm in power. And I, it's, <laughs> it, it's just like, you guys are the ones who did this. It is. You and- created the, the atmosphere that led to this being a rarity mm-hmm. in the first place. Well, and what's, it's baffling to me because we had all these movies with women in the lead that they earned so much money at the box office. Yeah, Alien what? was a huge, huge franchise. Like, you know, it Terminator, was Terminator, huge. I have to give a shout out to Rachel Ticotin. Uh, sorry, Rachel, uh, who plays Melina and is fantastic. There's another interesting element here in terms of uh, quote unquote representation, which is that this is a this is a pretty diverse film. I mean, you do have Schwarzenegger and uh, Cohagen is is a white is an old white guy, but that makes sense because he's evil. an evil corporate guy. Yeah. And Michael Ironside is Richter, who is who is the agency guy who is kind of out of the loop. He's an idiot. <laughs> he's it's an great. idiot, and he is constantly fucking up, and everyone is constantly letting him know that he has fucked up, and it's beautiful because he he has just the right balance of like authoritarian like kind of bully bulliness but at the same time is also a fool it's a perfect representation of the cogs of fascism yeah where like he wants to be the guy in charge but he's too much of a fucking moron to actually do it yeah and also i mean he isn't being given vital information that is true 
But Rachel Ticotin as Melina is fantastic. And what's great about it is it's diversity that is never commented on because you don't, you don't need to. It's just there. And what is nice about it is like she looks very different from Sharon Stone. And when they do, they actually, the two characters fight, but it's never made out to be kind of a ooh cat fight type thing. It's just these are two characters with opposing goals and they are, you know, Melina and Schwarzenegger are trying to get out of this room and Sharon Stone and the other goons are in their way. That's all. It's not, it's nothing more than that. I just think a lot about the scene in Avengers Endgame when all the uh, women superheroes have that shot of them all they all come into frame at the same time um talk about the sync up (laughs) jesus christ (laughs) personally speaking if i were a woman i feel like i would be offended by that because it feels patronizing as a woman i was offended i was like oh come on we don't need this it does feel patronizing it does feel like especially because it doesn't do anything like if you had just shown them fighting and doing good at fighting (laughs) (laughs) i don't love huge battle scenes like that because it's so impersonal and kind of eh, boring boring it's just gray action slurry and that kind of brings me back to what bangs about this movie is the action sequences are so good They are easy to follow. They have a beginning, middle, and end. They have amazing stakes. The climactic fight scene between Michael Ironside and his goons and Schwarzenegger and Molina, who are obviously outnumbered. Way back in the first act of the movie, we had Schwarzenegger getting a hold of a sort of hologram thing. It's like this mirror hologram. Yeah, it it turns whatever you're doing into a hologram that you can project. And so he uses that in this fight scene in a very fun way and he hands it off to Melina and it's just, it's them working together. It's clever in a way that isn't cloying. The fun that they seem to be having in making this movie, Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was actually fun to make, but it comes across on screen that it looks like it was very fun to do. You know, the effects, it's a lot of miniatures. It's a... They are incredible. There's miniatures, there's matte paintings, uh, and like full sets. And it just feels lived in. It feels like a real place. Mm -hmm. I really think what makes it feel lived in is all the mutants are... People. people you know there's a, a really nice moment when quaid has just arrived at mars and this little mutant girl she's like i know your birthday and he's like what tell me and she's like you're a taurus and, and, and he hands then, her a token and like and then touches her face it's such a sweet little moment it's a nice moment it does so much to humanize both schwarzenegger's character and also the mutants yeah like showing that these are people who are just trying to live day to day and you just get a real sense of the community that has formed in these difficult conditions Mm -hmm. and for a movie that is so high concept and so goofy on its surface it has a heart and that's something that Verhoeven was always very good at and it's something that's lacking from a lot of movies now where you just don't get any sense of the 
place where these people are, like where they live. Instead, you just focus on the main characters and kind of nobody else. And it's nice to see a movie that takes the time to build out this world and get you to care about these people. Mm -hmm. Not only is Cohagen controlling the air, but he turns off the air for this, you know, the Venusville district. And so they're all running out of oxygen. They're starting to pass out. And so that's the stakes of Schwarzenegger trying to turn on the reactor is that if he doesn't, all these people will die. Schwarzenegger is in Cohagen's custody. And that was the reason he turned off the air to Venusville was to force their hand and force them to hand over Schwarzenegger. They don't. Schwarzenegger is taken violently when uh, they kill Quato. But so Cohagen got what he wanted. And so they're like, so we can turn the air back on. And he's like, nah, fuck him. It'll be a lesson to the rest. One thing that I really like about this movie is how evil the villain is. And there's been a trend in recent years to make the villains sort of complicated and to have some good ideas but to be approaching them from Mm -hmm. the wrong way i'm gonna put on my tinfoil hat a little bit it feels intentional it does that we've started seeing villains who are technically correct but by the end of the movie they're still clearly the bad guys yeah oh well their methods their methods are all wrong and you know you got to work to change things from the inside incremental change it's it's all about incremental change it's all about the people who are already in charge should remain in charge yeah Uh, but they're gonna do better now you know they're gonna make some very slight they learn their lessons they're gonna make some very slight changes to make things a little bit better for mm-hmm. everybody. And that's the moral of so many stories now. I think the problem with the the Marvel movies is that all the heroes are very high up within the ranks of the Avengers who are basically the government within yeah, within the, that world. And so when you're already in charge of everything, your villains kind of have to be the rebels and, and yeah. resistance and people who they might have some good ideas, but this is not how you do it, Mm-mm. folks. You know, you got to be polite to your superhero overlords. And Total Recall is like, no, the guys in charge are deeply evil and exploitative and murderous. And we have to get rid of we them. We have to get rid the of them. The only way, like, we must radically alter our entire environment to rid ourselves of the control these people have over us. Yeah. In The Winter Soldier, where it's discovered that Hydra is actually running... The government. government. They defeat Hydra, but they don't fundamentally change the government. They just kind of get rid of Hydra, and nothing really changes otherwise. Like, what Hydra was doing was just sort of competently running the government up until they decided to start being evil again. For some reason, they'd been competently running the government since World War II. (laughs) And then we're like, all right, time to be evil now. And it's like, but I don't know why. You're already in control. And there is what I love is that for once the rebels are not a state's rights group fighting off the control of a centralized government a federal government if Mm -hmm. you will so often in this kind of movie or even tv show firefly comes to mind the rebels are rebelling against a centralized government in Firefly, in Star Wars. That isn't exactly what's happening, but that is kind of the sense you get. There's a lot of kind of lost cause sensibility in in some of these, like in Firefly in particular. Like, I feel like we need a little more of a reckoning for, for that show. It doesn't mean it's bad. It's just 
there's some uncomfortable themes there that we maybe should talk about. In Total Recall, for once, the rebels are, as you said, unambiguously good. And they are not fighting for like local control instead of central control. It's no, I want to breathe. Yeah. Air is a human right. Protection from the sun is a human right. That's the kind of rebellion I can really get behind and root for. Well, it's so simple. It's so straightforward. And you might think like, oh, it's a a little too simple, but it kind of feels like things like that are, are needed more like making these really complex complicated storylines where oh it's you know shades of gray on both sides but yeah. sometimes you really just need a big evil white guy trying to own the air one thing Verhoeven really had his finger on the pulse of was how shitty the future would be yeah. before he heads over to Mars he rides in a Johnny cab oh it's so I love the Johnny cabs It's what Uber would like to do if they knew how to actually make software, (laughs) uh, which is it's an autonomous vehicle. It's an autonomous cab like it. It it is Uber's stated goal Mm -hmm. that they haven't really been able to achieve. But if they were, it would be very similar to this. It's this quippy, annoying robot cab that does these kind of canned responses to your bullshit. Again, with the animatronics, though, incredible. Great animatronics. um, But like. Uh, Quaid jumps in the cab and is like, drive, drive. He's trying to escape from Michael Ironside. And the cab is like, I'm sorry, I didn't understand that address. Yeah. Could you repeat it? He's like, just go. And he's like, please, you know. Say a number in the street. Say a number in the street. That feels so accurate. Yeah. It's so funny. The Johnny Cab, everything involving the Johnny Cabs is hilarious and creepy and also shitty. It's exactly what the future is. (laughs) The Johnny Cab aesthetic extends to kind of the whole movie. I just want to talk about like sort of the the visual design, the aesthetic of of the original Total Recall and how refreshing it is. I love Blade Runner. I think it's a very good movie, but I actually prefer Verhoeven's visual style. It's brighter while still getting across just how shitty everything is. Everything is well lit, which I really, really appreciate. The Blade Runner aesthetic has been replicated so thoroughly without any real thought, I think, that when you see something like the 1990 Total Recall, you're like, oh, oh, holy shit, we can have other visual representations of the future that aren't simply Blade Runner plus Asian fetishism. It's not a critique against Blade Runner. That's a, that it's was, a very good movie. It was a singular film at the time that has just been aped and parroted so many times. I think times that's the problem. Now. Yeah. Blade Runner was pulling from like manga and anime and old neighborhoods in Hong Kong, old neighborhoods in Tokyo. There's a very clear aesthetic there. And then everyone was like, oh, let's just do that. Just do Blade Runner without really understanding what Blade Runner was doing. And Total Recall does not do that at all. No, it is very much its own thing. And I think it really helps that like, I I don't recall Mexico City being used all that much as a setting. And actually, not to go back to the representation thing, but it is kind of nice that because they filmed this in, in Mexico City, or most of it in Mexico City, a lot of the background actors are in fact 
Mexican. Mexican. Uh, and it is just kind of like a fun, slight difference than, than you see in lots of other movies today. Again, it adds to the aesthetic, like the fact that, you know, you're getting to know this world kind of through mass transit in a way. It's really cool and interesting. And I just love being able to see. <laughs> Total Recall is as singular as Blade Runner in its look and aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And it sticks out in a way that very few movies do. Blade Runner being probably the prime example, The Matrix, where they just have their own aesthetic that is singularly theirs. Verhoeven is very is very singular, and I think that's why the Total Recall remake in 2012 was so disappointing, is the look of the entire movie is just gray sub Blade Runner. Like, you know, Blade Runner had a point, had an aesthetic, and Total Recall 2012 falls into that trap of thinking, well, gray action slurry is how you convey future dystopia. So I guess this is a good opportunity to say we're going into comparison Comparison corner. So we... Uh, watched the 2012 remake, which neither of us had seen before. It's a strange choice to really base the look of the film off of Blade Runner rather than the original Total Recall. I'm not going to go through the whole plot of the 2012 It is different. It is different. It doesn't take place on Mars at all. It takes place in Great Britain, which is the United Federation of Britain, I believe. Yeah, it's sort of Western Europe-ish. And they have a colony, which is just Australia, Mm -hmm. um, but it's called The Colony. Yeah, and the rest of Earth is uninhabitable because of chemical warfare right there was some sort of chemical war that rendered the planet uninhabitable except for these two areas and so britain controls the colony or the united federation of britain i'm just Mm. gonna call britain because who has the time and yeah um and the way they transport people to and from the colony is via the fall which is this giant tunnel that takes you through the core of the planet between britain and the colony in 17 minutes in 17 minutes so you're you're traversing the entire planet diameter of the planet traveling at approximately 28,235 miles per minute hour oh sorry per hour it's like 470 miles per minute i mean that's insanely fast they have the technology to make people go twenty eight thousand miles an hour and they haven't colonized space the whole crux of total recall 2012 is the only livable places are kind of western europe and australia and the Cohagen is like the head of the British government, government, despite being an American. It's unclear when exactly this takes place, but a lot of people have American accents who live in the British Federation. It's very odd to me. Most of the actors in this movie are British or Irish. Uh... Colin Farrell has a beautiful Irish lilt, and they have him play American for... I honestly have no idea. Well, and what's weird is that Kate Beckinsale, also British, yeah. uh, plays Laurie, who starts out having an American accent, and then when she's revealed to be a villain, she switches to a British accent. So American and British accents do exist in yeah. this world, <laughs> and yet most people have American, American accents, accents, including I- the the Chancellor, uh, yeah. Co- Chancellor Cohagen, played by Brian, Brian Cranston. Cranston. 
Cohagen wants to invade the colony for reasons. For even though it's already a colony, so why do you need to invade? Like you already own it. You're invading the colony so that you can wipe out the people and have more space for the population that is, I guess, kind of overflowing in Britain. But if you can, if you have the technology to propel people at twenty-eight thousand miles per hour, space, space, space. or clean up another part of the like i don't know what exactly happened but you are clearly technologically advanced and rich in resources if you're able to do this maybe try cleaning up another little section of land somewhere how's new zealand doing yeah i it's it's like there are no islands that escaped this the problem with this kind of premise is it is it raises a lot of questions that i would prefer not to be asking frankly well, and the the 1990 version raises questions that it then mostly answers. There's very little that you're left kind of wondering, like, wait, how does that work? Like, it's all pretty straightforward and clear, whereas the 2012 version seems to go out of its way to raise questions that it has no interest in answering. It might not even be aware that it's raising those questions. No. So the movie ends with them blowing up the tunnel, the fall. Yeah. So the invasion can't happen. Otherwise, It's not a huge part of the movie. So you have this large central conceit that you just sort of ignore, except at the very beginning and at the very end. The other weird part about the colony is like, that's where all the manufacturing happens. They send the workers to do the manufacturing, which seems to be solely manufacturing RoboCops. There are actual RoboCops in this movie, but at no point does it seem like it's a callback to Verhoeven. No. So there are these AI that are manufactured to police the populace. And it's like, why do you need more RoboCops if you're going to wipe out the entire colony and then you're going to automate the manufacturing of robocops well, and then you have it was kind of hard to tell at times because there are real cops that are dressed in kind roughly the same outfits. way and you're like wait but what what is the difference between the human and the robocop it actually is not clear to me where anything is like You know, yes, there is a visual difference between life in the colony and life in London, mostly because Australia is Asia now. It is that kind of fetishizing. It's like, well, we need a shorthand for this is the future. So everything is just Asian now. So the visual cue for the colony is Blade Runner and the visual cue for Britain is... Inception? (laughs) Oh, <laughs> I was actually going to say it's the fifth element where, you know, there are flying cars and very tall buildings and floating buildings. And that's where the inception thing comes in is like there's weird physics at play in London where they've kind of built layers upon layers of the city. And I think they're trying to say like, oh, we're so built up and overpopulated uh, because we don't have enough space. But like, how do you build floating buildings? Exactly? I, yeah. Are they attached? I guess they're attached to something something but we don't really see that we don't get a sense of the space really so we never really get a sense of either space uh, in terms of like the citizens of either britain or the colony one of uh, the 1990 versions greatest strengths like i talked about is how we get to know the mutants and and these people who we're supposed to root for we are meant to root for the colony and colin farrell working to save them except 
the only person we meet in the colony is this kind of punk kid who's maybe a teen, maybe yeah. in his 20s. He's just sort of a, a snotty kid who gives the cops a hard time, which fine, great. But we never see him again. He's not really given anything to do. And that's it. That's yeah. really our only representation of the colony. Again, this is a huge problem with this movie is it's hard to tell where you are, mm-hmm. where the action is happening in a given scene. Like... So Colin Farrell goes to Recall, which has been turned into, you know, Asian inspired lounge. And it's very weird implications like, oh, this is like Asian mysticism now, like a, a sort of hybrid of Asian mysticism and technology that feels kind of gross honestly i don't like it um it is an egregious misuse of john cho in the 1990 total recall arnold schwarzenegger goes into a very high-end doctor's office basically and they you know it's kind of like going to get plastic surgery it feels like they're trying to upsell you whereas colin farrell in the 2012 total recall walks into this like feels kind of like an Asian massage parlor almost, like kind of brothel-y. Really do not like that. Uh, And John Cho is this kind of wheeler dealer. And so this is taking place in the colony. In the 1991, the agency runs recall and also has the Mars colony. And so everything is kind of interconnected. Whereas here, Recall is in the colony and run by people from the colony. Just some guys, yeah. Uh, It's a weird choice to make to me. What's great about the 1990 version is that Recall feels like this sterile doctor's office with this kind of grifter salesman doctor. Yeah. Uh, You know, when Schwarzenegger starts having his freak out, the doctor is in the office with another client. And as he's running out, he says, like, make sure she doesn't leave. Yeah. Like, he's just upselling. He It is very much like a plastic surgeon's office where they're just trying to take your money for this kind of shoddy product that is morally questionable yeah in in well, their practice got, and procedures it's got the veneer of professionalism yeah for sure even though what they are doing is very like kind of shoddy and mm. this is a product that is being sold and with all the attendant problems there they want to make money they want to turn a profit and so if they have to cut some corners with safety as long as it's within the the risk assessment that they're willing to take with certain people's brains getting scrambled well that's that's a risk they're it's willing the price to take of business, baby. yeah because ultimately it's going to be more profitable than they'll lose from lawsuits that's that's just capitalism yeah and that comes across really well in the 90 version whereas in the remake it feels much more like hey man we're doing this great thing it and seems it's... like do they even talk about pricing no that's like the first thing they talk about in the 1991 it is it's one of those things where it's like okay how much does this cost and he's trying to kind of again upsell you whereas this no prices are discussed no again poor john cho has to regurgitate some high school uh, who you know high school kid who read uh, some nietzsche once or something and that's it 10 seconds later he gets killed the 2012 one has a few moments like that where it feels like coked up screenwriters talked for five seconds about philosophy something they saw on quora bill nye he is an amazing character actor who almost always makes your movie better when he shows up yeah and this is like somehow criminally he doesn't 
help this movie at all. He shows up for like a scene and spouts some completely forgettable dialogue about like what is the present and the past and our actions. Yeah, it's basically just kind of like just a consequentialist ethical view. And it's like, okay, like, you know, you are what you do, basically. Right. And but it's so quick, it it flies by in a second. And then the action kicks in again. And And he's dead. And it's the same with John Cho, where like, there's this kind of very quick, like, uh, and philosophy. All right, I'm dead now. Bye. Uh, And that's it. And it's just... It's all so bland. None of this movie sticks. It's slurry, yeah. Um, and uh, you had a great point that this is basically the born identity, but in the dystopia. Yeah, it's like they forced the born identity into a minority report wrapper, although it is borderline unwatchable because of the lens flare issue. This was sort of the peak of that era of uh, the J.J. Abrams lens flare, but people People were already starting to get sick of it. And this movie puts J.J. Abrams to shame. It's almost every shot. Yeah. And it's it's so unmotivated. And like, if you were a DP and you were doing that with real film, you would be fired on the spot. The director would be like, oh, this person doesn't know how to work a fucking camera. This felt like the nadir of the lens flare era. And if Total Recall 2012 did anything good, maybe it killed that or helped kill it because, oh my God, it is hard to watch. The action is so boring and forgettable. It's unflavored, unspiced porridge, basically. Can I get a little nutmeg in here? There's a car chase in this movie that is all CGI. It takes place on these maglev highways that uh, the cars all float Mm -hmm. on magnets. 98 percent of of the chase takes place on this maglev highway it all looks utterly forgettable the huge problem is that it's like two cop cars chasing colin farrell and jessica beale in their car that looks exact it has the same shape and almost the same color as they all look the same yeah Yeah, like it's really hard to differentiate like who is who and then it ends with maybe the one inventive moment the one moment that I kind of said like, oh, that was cool, Mm -hmm. where Colin Farrell turns off the magnets and the car falls down to the street level where there are just normal cars. Yeah, we still have normal cars. Driving around, they're all Fiats for some reason. A little product placement there, I'm assuming. (laughs) As he's falling, just before he hits, he turns the magnets back on and it crushes a car under the force of the the magnet. Yeah. And that's cool. That is a cool idea. It crushes that car and sends a bunch of other cars flying and people are running out of the way. And I was thinking about it afterwards. I was like, wouldn't that have been a cool car chase if they start on the maglev highway and then immediately dive off of it and then have to use this magnet car on surface streets to get away and they're knocking cars out of the way crushing cars going over like on the side of bridges on the side of bridges and buildings and like that would have been an inventive interesting chase that i i haven't seen before but they only hint at like this cool thing and then it's never addressed again it's never it never comes up again and that's that and it's just like man what a missed opportunity right if you had the money to create this chase anyway why not and you know they put a lot of money into the special effects i think as kind of dull and gray as they are they don't look bad by like a oh they've aged poorly kind of way like the effects hold up pretty well for a 2012 movie so like they had the budget 
to do a lot with the effects, but instead they use them to make some very technically proficient uh, cityscapes and well-rendered scenes, but they're just like not inventive or interesting in any way. No, this whole movie is just gray slurry to me. Just as it's difficult to tell the cop cars from the regular cars, another huge mistake is, and I, I think both of these actors are fine, but Colin Farrell's quote-unquote wife slash watcher is Kate Beckinsale in the beginning of the movie, and this movie's Melina is Jessica Biel, and Kate Beckinsale and Jessica Biel are not the same person, but it is simply too difficult to tell them apart in a lot of these action scenes. Jessica Biel doesn't get anything. Like, Kate Beckinsale is actually kind of trying to Have have some fun here, but no one else is. There is such a lack of fun in this movie, particularly compared to the original, where the cast in this is pretty good. It's great. Bokeem Woodbine is here. He's also kind of trying. He's trying to have fun, but also he's just not given much to do. But yeah, he was the villain in season two of Fargo, and he's fantastic in that he can be very funny and wry and witty but he just has nothing to do here i mean we already talked about how they wasted bill nighy brian cranston can can do big and crazy and and over the top like you know whether he's channeling malcolm in the middle Mm -hmm. or breaking bad like he can be you know a big hammy a villain. Yeah. There's Kate Beckinsale's doing her best. And like Colin Farrell can be fantastic. Dude, if they had just stolen his character from In Bruges, you're automatically making this movie 150% more enjoyable. My Here's my searing hot take. Oh boy. I actually think Colin Farrell is a better casting choice for Doug Quaid than Arnold Schwarzenegger is. The problem is (laughs) in the directing. Yeah. If Verhoeven and Colin Farrell had existed in the same kind of timeline and, and Farrell had been cast in the 1990 version, I think that could have been... Really great, great, kind of along the lines of of a Bruce Willis type. Yeah. The point of Doug Quaid is that he's this sort of forgettable everyman who dreams of something bigger, but is just this grunt in the cogs of of capitalism. Secret agent Walter Mitty. Yeah. Yeah. This is a Walter Mitty story, basically. (laughs) So in that sense, Colin Farrell could be really, really good in this. He's got nothing to work with. He's just bland paste of of a character and it's such a disappointment because this is a well-cast film Mm -hmm. but the cast is just hung out to dry totally they got nothing it's a movie that only knows how to reference other movies other mostly better movies there's an absolutely unforgivable scene when colin farrell is going through security when he has arrived in london to blow up the fall there is a kind of weird looking woman who looks very similar to the weird looking woman disguise that Schwarzenegger wears in the 1990 version. She tells the customs agent, you know, she'll be here for two weeks, which is what. line. Yeah. yeah. That's from the other movie. <laughs> for a brief moment you're like oh it would be nice if they could do something new but i loved this from the other movie so if they're gonna do this that's fine by me and then they don't and it's instead colin farrell is the guy who's behind her does this count as blackface because he is a black man 
His disguise is a black man. He is Colin Farrell is not actually doing blackface. It is a projection. It's like a hologram projection, like a a collar that you wear that projects a new face onto you, which is a cool idea, actually. Yeah. Uh, But they don't. That's kind of all they do with it, except for the very end where Kate Beckinsale, Kate Beckinsale, for reasons I cannot understand, Kate Beckinsale is throughout the whole movie is just trying to kill Colin Farrell, whereas Sharon Stone in the 1991 is she is trying to kill him, but she's mostly just doing her job and she dies uh, trying to do her job. Here, though, it's. It's not really well established why she would be so single-minded to the point of Brian Cranston is killed. The fall has been blown up. The movie is over, basically. And Kate Beckinsale is still trying to kill Colin Farrell. Why? She could have just walked away. So it ends with her pretending to be Jessica Biel, wearing the collar that projects Jessica Biel's face over hers. And then Colin Farrell notices like she doesn't have a scar, a scar on, her, on hand. her hand. And that then he kills her. And, you know, it's just... It's like, okay, you know, you want to go for one last little, like, surprise, that's fine. But, like, why does she care? Like, the government's been destroyed. Her boss is dead. Why does she care about this still? It's never really made clear why she cares so much throughout the film. Yeah. Like, she's sort of almost Terminator-esque in her just relentlessness. Sharon Stone's character, you know, when she first tries to kill Schwarzenegger, and then they kind of just have a moment to just sit down, and she's just like, I don't know, man, I just work here. And you do get a real sense of like, yeah, she's just, this is her job, she's just doing it. You know, later on, she kind of tries again but you still sort of get the sense that she's just loyal to michael ironside her husband who yeah like Um, there's that whole interesting little wrinkle which is it it, again it adds something it like that lends itself well like michael ironside is doing his job for cohagen but there is this added animus that he develops towards schwarzenegger because He's fucking his wife. Yeah, he's fucking his wife and then kills his wife. There's more there. There's stakes. You see why Michael Ironside wants to kill him. He's so like hell-bent on even on taking Schwarzenegger down with him at the very end. And like Cohagen is several times like, dude, stop. You're fucking this up. Get the fuck out of the way. You're ruining my plans here. This is why I don't tell you things, basically. Like Michael Ironside is treated as kind of an idiot throughout the film and it's very funny. Whereas Kate Beckinsale is kind of this girl boss. It's unavoidable to have this sort of sexist overtone if Brian Cranston were to treat her as an idiot. You just can't divorce that from the misogynistic world that we kind of live in. If you had had... Brian Cranston treating her the same as Cohagen treats Michael Ironside, it would be weird and uncomfortable and gross, and I don't think you could make that fun. I guess if you wanted to do that to say something about misogyny and, and toxic masculinity, yeah, whatever yeah. you wanted, you could, but it doesn't do that either. It doesn't mm-hmm. really do anything there's no real message here like it doesn't seem like anybody actually cares about the colonists i so or the colony rather no one i don't understand why anyone does anything in this movie like yeah. i don't understand why kate beckinsale do, is so single-minded here and i have no idea why jessica beale is a rebel what this movie does not do is establish who the oppressed are right We don't meet any of the actual oppressed people. We don't get any backstory from 
Jessica Biel of like, oh, my family was killed by the government. We don't even see the factories, really. Colin Farrell works to make the robots, but it seems like a perfectly not that bad a job. He gets passed over for a promotion. Yeah, his that's sort of (laughs) the inciting incident is he wants a promotion. He wants to go to like middle management, I guess. And somebody from Britain gets it over him because he has connections. But like that's sort of the extent of his hopes and dreams. Like in the 1990 version, Quaid's hopes and dreams are just like to matter in the world. And in the 2012 one, it's just like, well, I just want it, you know, a slightly larger paycheck and like an office. And it's the colonies. They are very Asian, very kind of... Hong Kong-ish. Mm. And yet, everyone's apartments seem pretty nice. Colin Farrell has a balcony. It's an open floor plan. It's, yeah, it it's seems pretty spacious. Very for two spacious. People. Good, good light. It feels like it was designed by someone who has never lived in New York, has never lived in a place where space is at a premium. Well, it was clearly designed by somebody who doesn't know what... Someone who has never lived in squalor. Yeah, or even just like not a great apartment. Personally speaking, I was looking at that thinking like, that looks amazing. That would cost a fortune. I would love to live in that apartment. Holy shit. Circling back a little bit to that security scene of the two weeks lady. One of the reasons the original is so iconic is because it has time to breathe. Like Mm -hmm. the weirdness builds as she keeps repeating two weeks and then she starts pulling on her face and then the whole apparatus comes apart and it reveals Schwarzenegger and it's this very strange unsettling weird moment but it it takes place over a few minutes this whole sequence whereas... In the new one, they say, sir, you have to go through the detector again. And immediately the it starts glitching. It starts glitching and it reveals his face and it's over in like 30 seconds. Right. And it just doesn't give you a minute to be like, hey, what the heck is going on here? I don't know. That's a problem with a lot of this movie is like you're never really given a chance to just live in a scene and really absorb the world and the weirdness of the whole thing. It's just very paint by numbers on top of all that it raises all these weird questions that don't need to be raised where you're just like how the fuck is this any of this supposed to work how are the buildings floating how did they build the fall why is australia habitable why is it asian this is never explained but there is a lot of cyrillic alphabet usage like there's a lot of signs in russian and it's it's like wait why is they're Russian being you like are the Russians a big part of the British Federation or the colony there's just all these signifiers that are never actually part of the story Colin Farrell has a safety deposit box at the first bank of New Asia New Asia is never said by any right. character so was like Australia I think what they're trying to say is that some Asian cultures basically took over Australia after the chemical war and established a new country established New Asia in Australia and then Britain uh, took colonized it over? is that it? it? that's an interesting story and it would have been cool to have explored that and it's a bummer because it's like we're hinting at this very interesting thing and then we're going to tell you the most bland, boring, boring, uninteresting story imaginable. Yeah, it's easy to build that stuff into the fabric of your story and that's what the 1991 does so well. Everything is woven into the fabric of the story. Like, you know, Schwarzenegger, his character loves watching the news. Sharon Stone's character is trying to distract him from the news. So while you are developing the relationship between Sharon Stone and Arnold Schwarzenegger, you are getting exposition about the half a million year old alien artifact that they found in this 
mine on Mars and that comes into play. There's a lot that's just kind of built into the fabric and it's all relevant. Whereas the 2012 Total Recall seems to think that simply slapping on details like lots of Chinese characters, lots of Cyrillic, and having a first bank of New Asia. It's literally window dressing. <laughs> to them, that is world building, and it sucks. <laughs> I really love the alien reactor in, yeah. in the first one. It's such a cool idea. I'm sure the new one does adhere more closely to the original story, but like, there's no sense of wonder or or awe or mystery about any of it that makes you excited to see how it's going to mm -hmm. end. They start the reactor in the first one and it's this big exciting moment and it's such a great payoff. What's so great about it too is that it's a creative process. There is destruction involved in the creative process uh, in the 1991, but it is literally creating, birthing a new, better world. And I think that's what sucks a lot about the 2012 one is it is solely a destructive act hmm. to prevent further destruction. None of this is about building a better world. It's like about destroying a thing. Ultimately, it ends with the invasion being stopped, and that's all well and good, and, and the chancellor has been killed. But there is no sense that the superstructure that created this environment in the first place has changed fundamentally. Yeah, the pe like the people that we never got to know, we don't know how their lives have actually been bettered other than simply not being crushed under the boot yeah. of the British Federation. Like they're not being genocided this very moment, and that's great. Uh, <laughs> happy for them. But like you have to assume if, if the British Federation was capable of building the fall in the first place, they're probably capable of fixing the broken yeah. tunnel. I'm sure there are processes in place to elect a new chancellor. Right. You know, like it doesn't seem like, and so they're probably just going to bring in a new guy. They'll fix the tunnel and we're kind of going to be back at square one. You didn't solve the inherent inequality here. Yeah. You just made it a little more difficult for them for right. like six months until they can fix the fall. It is so strange to me too. So Cohagen in the 1990 movie is just kind of a corporate, guy like you know he's in charge of the stuff on mars the mine the mine cohagen is not this huge you know head of government or anything and so it makes sense that he would be in contact with people like michael ironside and his team and those dumbass goons his dumbass goons whereas in the 2012 one i don't understand why the head of the government is talking with a low level person like kate beckinsale who does not seem to be in charge of anything. Why hasn't he delegated this? In the 1991, Cohagen is mostly just a guy and he is at the reactor at the very end. And it's not really much of like a fight against him. They don't like fight fight. There's like a bunch of wind. They're all just trying to hold on for dear life and Schwarzenegger kicks Cohagen off. They're uh, all getting sucked off. They're all getting sucked off. Wow, that happens a lot in, I, on this it? podcast. That so that's how that resolves. It isn't Schwarzenegger and old ass Cohagen facing off with guns or fists. Whereas in the 2012 one, it, it is Cohagen physically fighting with Colin Farrell. And it's like, why is the head of the government even Here. there? He wouldn't be on the ship. So we mentioned earlier that it's going at 28,000 miles an hour. And they open the door while in transit, like just after they pass by the core of the planet. So even if they're starting to slow down, 
down a little bit. They're still theoretically going anywhere from 10 to 20,000 miles an hour. It reminded me of the first Mission Impossible, the fight on the top of yeah. the bullet train, yeah. which is a great sequence. That train's going, what, 200, 250 yeah. miles an hour? And it just plasters them yeah. to the roof of the train, and it's it's very intense. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's 250 miles an hour. Let's say conservatively, it's 10,000 miles an hour. You get your skin ripped from your yeah. bones. Yeah. Yet somehow Brian Cranston is on the outs as so well. So is Colin Farrell. Like, like they're all again, just walking around. Out I have there. no idea. It's a little breezy. I have no idea how or why they're using this ship to to transport all of the robots. Which is weird because the robots are manufactured at the colony. That's the other thing is, are they? Because Colin Farrell and Bokeem Woodbine have to take the fall to work, but they live in the colony. Oh fuck, you're right. That's the problem here. Why, if Britain is the controlling sort of upper class, why would the manufacturing be in Britain? Wouldn't it be in the colony? They don't have the space to devote to manufacturing. There's plenty of space in Australia, if nothing else. (laughs) Manufacturing involves a lot of chemical and other nasty waste. That's why, why, would, that's that's why, why it's always in like lower low income, income neighborhoods. I mean, Jesus, it doesn't make any goddamn sense. It's such a mess of a movie. The ending with Brian Cranston is just kind of silly. Why is he fighting? Why is he fighting? Well, not He's only not that, a fighter. But like, He's a politician. In 1990, Cohagen's death has like an appropriate irony to it. He gets sucked out yeah. into Mars lack of atmosphere and his head pops yeah and for a guy who's been controlling the air and has this sort of stranglehold on people it's an appropriate really thematic death whereas in 2012 he just kind of is on the ship and blows up and and dies and that's that and it's like what's the message here what's stabbed he gets stabbed but he is alive alive. as he's falling as the ship falls and blows up it doesn't work on a thematic level the structure of the movie is so ill-conceived and it's great that it flopped like sorry to everyone involved but it's a bad movie it is it's just this pastiche that is never the sum of all of its parts Mm -mm. it's always worse than all of its references there's no fun there isn't a single recognizably human emotion in this movie the 1990 version is is just chock full of real emotions there's just a lot of great dean norris is one of the mutants uh and he's really fun debbie lee carrington who is a a little person she plays thumbelina who is a a worker at, at the brothel she gets a really fun moment there's all these people that get really fun moments and we are constantly being reminded of the human cost of this kind of corporate exploitation but in a way that is fun and interesting and watchable well there's a sense of solidarity amongst all these characters they're all in it together they all have a a common cause and you care about them like the beauty of this movie is that the prosthetics make these people kind of upsetting to look at and still makes you care about them that's sort of the joy of Verhoeven is that he's able to have very ugly unpleasant visuals and yet you care deeply about Mm -hmm. 
everyone in this movie. The new one is ugly and unpleasant, but in a completely unintentional (laughs) way. And you don't care about anybody. Nope. The spiritual successor, at least to the 1991, is the TV series The Expanse. Overall, that's a great show that shows the human cost of space exploration and just how people are crushed under the boot of capital and governments. And that is the real sequel to Total Recall. Yeah. Uh, And definitely worth watching if you haven't seen it. It's a great show. It's so good. It's nice that the 2012 Total Recall has kind of already been forgotten. That era, 2010 through like 2014, there were a lot of remakes and they're almost uniformly bad. Yeah. That was kind of when the Terminator franchise was trying to go again Mm. and uh, the thing remake happened a few years later you'd get the mummy remake just a dark period where (laughs) all of them were just bland and boring fundamentally did not understand what made the originals so classic and so timeless yeah this is a Paul Verhoeven stan podcast now officially so as of this recording uh, beginning of August Total Recall is on Netflix yes so check it out if you have a Netflix account or you are uh, sharing it with a, with a good friend <laughs> the 2012 version we actually had to rent which we will write off on our taxes yes because that was not worth it no don't bother renting it it's not worth the four dollars if your movie has Colin Farrell Bill Nighy Brian Cranston Kate Beckins sale and uh bokeem woodbine and it's not even a little bit funny there's not even little humorous elements or or chuckles to be had you have fucked up those are all very funny people we can have some fun yeah it's okay it doesn't have to be a comedy but it should have some fun elements total recall 1990 is not a comedy but it has a lot of funny parts and that's okay you can do that So that is our review of 1990's Total Recall, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, as well as our scathing review (laughs) of 2012's Total Recall remake, starring Colin Farrell. There's a reason it is part of the namesake of this podcast. Yeah. It really started the decade strong. And and really, Schwarzenegger had some big movies in the 80s, but he owned the 90s. We'll be talking about more Arnold Schwarzenegger movies in the future, because how can you not if you're doing a 90s action movie podcast? (laughs) So thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed, and go out and watch Total Recall, 1990, not 2012. And stay tuned for uh, our next episode where we will cover another 90s action movie. I don't know what it'll be. We kind of figure it out as as we go along. You can rest assured knowing that it will be fun. See you next time.